0: You are now tuned in to the AddictedToSuccess.com podcast, where geniuses, entrepreneurs, and next-level game changers share their juicy little secrets on achieving massive success. This is the advice you wish you heard years ago. Be prepared and take note as we expose the realness and the raw of what it takes to be successful on AddictedToSuccess.com. Now, you inspire a lot of people. Who inspires you and why?
1: But I've met a few people who, who really inspired me. Um, I've had the great pleasure of uh, spending a lot of time with uh, men and women in uniform, folks in the military. And I m- keep meeting people who are willing to sacrifice, you know, sometimes their lives but make great, great sacrifices for each other. And it's just sort of amazing to be around them and their culture. And it was actually the time I spent with them that started me on this journey to try and understand w- where
0: people like that come from, which became the book Leaders Eat Last. Beautiful. And that's a great book as well, I must add, man. Thank you very much. Thank you. Nice, nice. Is there any kind of role models that you have that are, are influential characters at all? That, that are, I don't know, maybe like success coaches or entrepreneurs that you, you look up to?
1: Um, I have a few people in my life. Um, Bob Chapman, uh, again, who is in Leaders Eat Last, who's a, sort of a remarkable people-focused leader. Um, um, a guy by the name of Lieutenant General George Flynn. Who's from the Marine Corps, who truly understands the concept of servant leadership, and these are the people I look to, and I say, sort of like, how do I want to be when I grow up? And I and I look at them
0: and say, I want to be like them. So two remarkable human beings that I that I'm proud to call friends. Nice man, nice. And I see your uh, your little Skype uh, profile picture there. Is that you? That's in the picture.
1: That is me. <laughs> nice,
0: nice. So um, what's the most daring thing that you've ever ever really done? You know, it looks like you you fly you know, fast jets and things like that? Well, I don't fly them. I have flown in one. Um, Oh, okay.
1: (laughs) I mean, I think the most daring thing I ever did was starting a business, you know, where you, you you know, there's something with an over 90% chance of failure. You know, if I told you to get on a plane that has over 90% chance of crashing, would you do it? You're like, no way. And yet, you know... I'm a part of this small, stupid breed of people who, like, yeah, I'll quit my perfectly good job with a decent salary on a regular basis to do something with an over ninety percent chance of failure. Sounds like fun, so that was pretty stupid, um, but it's turned out to be a wild ride, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, well, it looks like uh, it's a risk worth taking for you, man. So that's good, good on you. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So you're, um, you're pretty big on your whys. So can people have multiple whys in their life? Like, Would that be effective or is it good just to focus on one why? No,
1: there's, there's no such thing as having multiple whys. As human beings, we have but one. It is fully formed by the time we're sort of 18, 19, 20. Um, it's the sum total of um, our upbringing and the challenges we had and opportunities we seized when we were young. Um, and it, it's make, it, it is who we are. It's the core of who we are you know, um, you know when your friends aren't acting like themselves, you know, because they're, they've, they've lost focus, you know, and they're, they're no longer focused on why they do what they do. So yeah, as human beings, we only have one why and our lives and our careers represent opportunities to either live in focus or out of focus.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great answer. That's a great answer. And who in history would you say has like a really inspiring why or someone that really inspires you with their why?
1: I mean, any of the great leaders that inspired change, right? Sort of the Martin Luther Kings, the Nelson Mandelas, the Mahatma Gandhis. I mean, these people had a clear understanding of why they do what they do. Or, um, they had a clear understanding of this higher sense of purpose or cause or belief that all of their all of their efforts were directed towards.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's good. That's good. So, I think, along with uh, millions of other people, I've I've actually seen the uh, the video that you uh, put out on or you did uh, with the TED Talk about the Golden Circle. Mm-hmm. So would you would you recommend like any other techniques as well that could aid you in creating a powerful vision?
1: Because a vision is just that. It's a vision of the world that does not yet exist yet, right? So yeah. a, a vision is about something, a, a world that does not yet exist that if everything you do goes right, that world would exist. That would be vision. Um, something way off in the future that for all intents and purposes you'll never actually reach. It's totally, totally idealistic. That's, that's a great vision. Um, you know, if it's if it's eminently reachable, then it's just a goal. It's not really a great vision. Um, but in terms of understanding your why, there's there's lots of fun ways to do it. There are multiple ways to do it. Um, you know, my I work with a little team of people, and they were smarter than me to understand that there's only one of me and that if we wanted to help people understand their why, we're going to have to come up with a better way because there's just one of me. Um, and so we could teach people, but even that's not very scalable. And so they... Took the, the concept of why uh, the why discovery and they took the process that I used to take people through and they built an online course which is pretty amazing it's, it's everything I used to do that people can can go through it online um, and that's available at startwithwhy.com um, but I can tell you another fun way to do it which is totally free which is go to uh, your closest friends, um, the people who you would call at 3 o'clock in the morning and you know they would take your call, or that they could call you and you would definitely take their call. Um, it doesn't work as well with spouses or with siblings, but, you know, your closest friends, the friends that you love, and ask, this, ask them the simple question, why are we friends? And they're going to look at you like, what? Why, why, I don't know. Why are you asking me that? And it's not that they don't know. It's that they can't put it into words, because you're asking them to articulate something that doesn't exist in the part of the brain that controls language. And so then you change questions. You say, come on, what is it about me? You stop asking why, and you start asking what. What is it about me that we're such close friends? And they'll start describing you. You know, you're trustworthy, you're smart, I enjoy spending time with you. And you say, great, that's the definition of a friend. You play devil's advocate. What is it about me? And they'll struggle, and you're not allowed to help them, and you're not allowed to let anybody else help them. And, um, and they'll always be describing you, and it'll be this sort of painful, drawn-out, torturous <laughs> And they'll get to the point where they'll give up. They'll say, look, I don't know. And they'll stop describing you, and they'll start describing themselves. And this is what my friend said to me. They said, I don't know, Simon. All I know is I don't even have to talk to you. I can just sit in the same room with you, and I feel inspired. And I got goosebumps. So when they start describing themselves, and you have some sort of emotional response, whether you get goosebumps or you're well up, that's a, that's a, a, a sure sign that you've tapped into or found the thing that you have value in their lives. In other words, it's your why. it's the thing that you give to the world. And if you do that prescriptively and on purpose, then you will have more value in people's lives and you will have a more fulfilling life and if you choose to ignore it then, then, then you struggle right More struggles um, um, happen. Um, so that's a fun way of doing it.
0: Yeah Wow, that's really interesting. I love that I love it And it's funny yeah because it's, it's kind of like you've got to keep digging deeper and deeper. Like, oh, no, but why? Like, why, why? And, and what, and what? you got to keep asking those questions until you kind of get to the core of it. Right. Yeah. No, that's beautiful, man. Has your idea of leadership evolved uh, since the beginning of, you know, like writing your book up until now? And like, you've shifted your focus, obviously, and you're looking a lot more into leadership because your last book, uh, uh, Leaders Eat Last, you covered, a, covered the whole topic of leadership, Right. Have you learnt a lot more about leadership by like the people that you've met since you've released that book?
1: Oh, of course. I mean, my work is never complete. You know, it's 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 just snippets of a journey. I mean, start with why stopped, and leaders eat last picked up with start with why left off, and it also kind of drops you off in the middle. I mean, and it's it's sort of just a metaphor for life, which is you know we wake up with a hunger to learn, and no one no one's ever an expert anyone who says I'm an expert in anything has closed their mind to the, to the to the idea that they might not know everything you know that they that there's more to learn um, I've never considered myself an expert I consider myself a student of leadership and so and so it's a constant constant education and you know part of it's frustrating you're like oh I wish I'd written that I wish I'd learned that six months ago <laughs> you know so yeah so all the work is imperfect and the learning is continuous
0: yeah no, that's a great answer. And how do you go about writing your books? Like, do you schedule out time per day to, to sit and write, or like do you brainstorm and then it kind of all comes together at the last minute? How does it work for you?
1: Yeah, it's sort of um, it's sort of like hours and hours and hours of guilt and self loathing, punctuated by periods of incre- incredible inspiration. Um, <laughs> the problem is, I don't know when those incredible moments of inspiration are going to hit. So. I'm not disciplined enough to be like I start at nine and stop at five, or you know I'm going to write 2,500 words a day. I, I've never. I'm. I'm just. My talents lie <laughs> somewhere else, other than that kind of discipline. Um, and so it tends to be a somewhat chaotic creative process, much like choreography, I guess, or painting, or you know, where there's a lot of talking, a lot of discussion, and a lot of pacing and a lot of sort of you know wondering, and then these moments of connection where I sit down and write frantically and and it's
0: sort of a mad process. Yeah. And what advice would you give to writers out there? Oh, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> That's a horrible, horrible
1: experience.
0: Oh, man. <laughs> I guess
1: the, advice, the hard part about writing is it's a lonely experience. You know, Even when you work with people, at the end of the day, you have to sit down and write by yourself. But, but for me, and I can't speak for everybody, but for me, the, the value of sharing my ideas and talking about it, my ideas out loud so that I can hone those ideas you know when somebody goes I don't understand and I'm forced to re re-express it or re-articulate it until someone else understands what's what I think I understand in my own head or to ask or to keep explaining it to the point where I realize I don't understand it and I have to go on just you know learn so I you know even though it's a solitary experience um, work hard to, 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 to share the ideas with as many people as possible I know a lot of writers are very afraid of sharing the ideas for fear that someone will steal their ideas. But the good thing is is that most people won't because the execution is really hard, and so they just won't execute them on them. And, and the only people who steal ideas are people who don't have ideas. Um, and so you, if you have a lot of ideas, um, you know some of them are going to get stolen, but that's okay because you'll have more. Um, but I think it's a fool's errand um, to keep all your ideas to yourself because there's no opportunity to find out, A, if they're good, B, if they're resonant, and C, um, if, you, if you can articulate them.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, it man, scares I, me
1: when people sit down and say, yeah, I wrote this book in six weeks. I just sat down and wrote it. I'm like, if you can do it, more power to you. I couldn't do it that way.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I'd imagine it'd be really hard as well if you're a bit of a perfectionist to, to know like when that cutoff is to just go after the, it.
1: Yeah, that's the, It's a very good point which is books are imperfect, especially books about ideas. You know, they are imperfect and the logic obviously has to hang together and the research and the science has to work Um, but but you will miss something out and there's a point at which you have to stop Um, this is the problem with writing the stuff that I write about which is I'm inherently writing about human behavior which is messy and you know the beginning middle and end are somewhat arbitrary Um, and so you know in my case you'll get a kick out of this the the struggle to organize the concepts in, in leaders eat last was so difficult I ended up defaulting to using um, Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey, which is a tried and tested um, uh, outline used in fiction. Yep. Uh, yep. Never, never in nonfiction. It's it's unheard of to use it in, in this context. In other <laughs> words, my, my, my book is is based on Star Wars. <laughs> the fir- the first section it's not in the it's not in the uh, it's not in the table of contents but t- table, of t- table of contents. But the first section is clearly labeled.
0: The force. <laughs> I love it. That's where you find your inspiration. That's good. That's really yeah. Good. Well, it's not the inspiration. It was the organ organizing principle. There you go. The structure. Yeah, yeah. The force. Oh, wow. <laughs> You're right. Beautiful. Nice, man. So you um you not only are an author, but you also you know do training sessions and you uh, deliver speeches as well. Like, how do you handle that yourself? Like, do you like playing in that arena of delivering speeches? And like, what was it like for you to get up on stage and and share your knowledge for the first time?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it's an amazing experience to be able to share ideas, and and you get to see if they resonate or not. I mean, it's it's a it's live feedback, right? You see people falling asleep. You see them picking up their phones and taking, you know, getting distracted. You see, or you you can feel them engaged. It's sort of quite remarkable and intense. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, it's. I, I'm proud to share the ideas. I'm proud to share them in, in, in a live setting. Um, and for me, I think out loud. And so the opportunity to share my ideas means I actually get to think. Um, and so this is why my, my, I have no PowerPoint and my, my talks are not memorized because I'm actually showing up and eat. almost every time I speak, I'm, I learn something new. And a lot of the, the things that I, I talk about or write about began in conversations or, or when I was giving public presentations because I was making connections as I was going. It's why I love q and A. I always request um, longer Q&A because it's my opportunity to think and not just re- repeat the same thing.
0: That's right and it's, it's cool with um, the Q&A because sometimes you surprise yourself or it sparks off this other idea that you end up carrying totally. outside of it too, right? Totally, totally. Beautiful. And what on um, what kind of advice would you give to somebody that wants to go on the speaking circuit?
1: Well, you know, I mean, obviously the the the, the basic advice is if you have something to share, then go share it. Um, um, I never planned on being a speaker. You know, I spoke because people asked me to. And it started just me speaking in my friends' apartments. Like my friends would have me come to their apartment and share my ideas with their friends. I mean that's literally how it began.
0: Wow. <laughs>
1: and and, um, and somebody would say, "I have somebody else for you to talk to." and I went, "Okay." And you know, people just kept inviting me, and I just kept saying yes. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm a great believer that if you have ideas to share, share them as often as possible. You know, go out for brunch with people and say, "Hey, can I share my ideas with you?" And you know, I used to draw on the back of napkins at meetings because I was just like, I'd have, you know, I, I just had these ideas to share. So the, the the original when I was talking about the start with why and the golden circle, it was it was in small groups and backs of napkins and. You know, small meetings, and I, anybody who wanted to listen, I was willing to talk. And so, you know, it's about practicing and honing your craft, for one, like anything. Um, but it's also, uh, it's also just it, it really understanding your own concepts and, you know, not having it being memorized. Um, and, and I think there's an element of humility that comes to it as well. Um, uh, you know, some speakers talk about, you should do this and you should do that. Um As opposed to we could do this, or this is a good idea, or let me give you some evidence that would demonstrate that this is something interesting that might be worth trying, but the whole you should do this and I know better i i, I find to be a turn off
0: yeah that's right that's right you want people to feel inspired and you can 't really make them feel inspired by saying you should you should they like to know that they have support and that like you know you can you can all do it together that's yeah, right. and you'd
1: be you'd be amazed how many people uh how many people
0: uh, speak that way? Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. It's it's so simple, but it's it'll be so effective if you change your words and change the way you are uh, you deliver. It,
1: yeah. yeah, and it, it also, like I said, you show up as a student. You don't show up as an expert.
0: Yep. You show
1: up as learning and wanting to share, as opposed to knowing everything and wanting to tell everybody.
0: That's right. That's right. So on the um the subject of leadership, like, what would you say? is the difference between someone who's in charge and someone who's a leader?
1: Well, authority uh, is about formal rank, you know? Um, uh, and somebody who's a leader is, is, is more, um, more human. Sometimes those things uh, co- go together. Sometimes the leader has formal authority, but they don't have to. I know many people who sit at the highest levels of organizations who are not leaders. Um, they have authority and we do what they say because they have authority over us, but we wouldn't follow them. And yet I know many people who sit at the bottom of organizations who have no authority, but they absolutely are leaders because they've made a simple decision to look after the person to the left of them and look after the person to the right of them. I mean, that's what leadership is. Leadership is a choice. And the, the, the sticky wicket is that um, leadership takes a lot of work. It's very hard work. And people, some people believe that if they make their way up the ranks, it entitles them to do less, you know? But the reality is, as you make your way up in the ranks, if you choose to be a leader, it means that you have to do more. And it comes at greater sacrifice of time and energy.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that goes on to the, the next question that I had of, um, you know, what would be the biggest hurdle that, that most leaders would face? Something that they would have to change to be you know, a leader?
1: You know, I think a lot of leaders, you mean, I think a lot of leaders struggle with um, having to know all the answers you know um, that because they're in this leadership position that they're expected to know all the answers and if they don't to pretend they do or try and figure it out and the reality is the greatest leaders are the ones who freely accept that they don't know all the answers which is why they surround themselves with wonderful people and protect those people and empower those people um, but but you know we have expectations put upon us and sometimes we put high expectations upon ourselves um, and that, that's a hard one to overcome that, that that when we're junior our job is to do And when we're senior, our job is to inspire others to do. Um, And so, you know, to be to be um, to be a doer at the highest
0: levels um, is hard. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You're right. You hit the nail on the head right there. Beautiful. Um, Now, I want to get to know you a little bit more um, outside of your work. So, can you tell us a little bit about? um, You know, what would what would you say was the most incredible moment for you in your life so far? like a real standout moment for you?
1: I mean, the most incredible? I mean, that's an impossible question. You know, <laughs> you know I, 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 try, I try and live in the future and in the, I try and live in the present. You know, so, you know, when people say, oh, college were the best years of my life, I'm thinking, oh, what about the rest of it? You know, every year of my life has been the best year of my life. Um, you know, I'm on an amazing journey and I'm astounded and humbled by the amazing people I've had the opportunity to meet and some of the incredible experiences I've been I've had the opportunity to go and try you know um it's 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 you know sounds corny but it's it feels like a blessed life and um, I take none of it for granted I'm I'm grateful for all of it and um and share as much as I can with the expectation and the hope that that if you put yourself on this crazy journey any anybody can have this life you know I I'm I'm just like everyone else. You know, I'm the same idiot I was, you know, seven years ago when, when this journey began. Um, uh, um, but, but I try and make myself the guinea pig for the concepts I espouse. So I live my life by my why. And I try hard to be a leader that eats last. And I, and I try and do the things, you know, not always successful, but I try hard to do the things that I write about and prove, and like I said, make myself an example that if you do these things, you know, craziness
0: ensues. Yeah, that's right. Well, it sounds like you set the bar really high uh, for yourself, which is um, it's good. It's something good to strive for in your life. So, hopefully, that's good. <laughs> what are um, what are some of the things that scare you? Um,
1: I think what scares me is letting down the people who have um, risked for me, those who have, you know, put my name forward or have brought me in and said, "All right, let's give this a try." Um. The people who sort of put their reputations on the line or believed in me—I um, I don't want to let them down. I want to make them proud. I want to prove to them that, that that the risk they took on me or the sacrifice they made for me was worth it. Um, and so I, you know, I—I I, I don't want to let them down. You know, I'm afraid of that. Um, so, yeah.
0: What are some of your weaknesses?
1: Oh, where do you want to start? Um, um, you know the. I think that to understand one's own strengths, one must also understand their own weaknesses. You know, no one is good at everything. And um, when you're junior, unfortunately, you have to be good at everything, which is really hard. But when you make your way up through the ranks, the good news is you only have to be good at what you're really good at. Um, um, that doesn't mean that you don't have the weaknesses. Um, and so, you know, I'm a great believer in not trying to build one's strengths, I mean, build one's weaknesses. You know, everybody's like, oh, you have to, you know, build your weaknesses. I'm a great believer in building on our strengths and then hiring our weaknesses or partnering with our weaknesses, you know. Um, and so, uh, so for example, I'm I'm I could be more organized. I'm not I'm not that very, I'm not that organized. I could be more organized, um, but I'm a, I have an amazing uh, exec who who helps me keep everything in order, so I can build on my strengths. Right? Yeah. Uh, I can be very easily distracted, um, which. The minus part is if I have to get something done, it can sometimes be very frustrating for me and for others. But it comes with an upside. The distractibility also means that the shiny objects that I find attractive are sometimes nuggets uh, of learning, and sometimes it's a great thing that I got distracted because I I would have never have found or made the discoveries that I've made. Um, So you know, I think strengths and weaknesses are contextual as well. You know, everything is about balance.
0: Nice. Yeah, I like what you said about distraction because I feel I kind of suffer from that too. Uh, but at the same time, like you, you can credit it, credit it to like some of the amazing things that you've discovered and shared with other people as well along the way. So yeah, that's good. That's a great answer. So what would you say are the crucial key elements to your success? Oh, my success is entirely due to the
1: generosity of other people. Uh, there's no question there. Um, You know, I'm the same idiot that I was seven years ago. The difference is is that other people have said, this is interesting, this is good, let me help you. Um, I'm also fully aware that everybody who's read my book or seen the TED Talks um, um, were either given it by somebody else or shared it with somebody else. And so the only reason any of these things have spread is not because of some sophisticated marketing plan, but because of the generosity of others to share the ideas with with other people they thought would, would appreciate it. So I, I'm fully aware that my success is, is, is because of the generosity of others and many of those people I don't know and will never get to know and and but it, it it's I'm fully aware of it. I'm fully aware of it.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's a great answer. And you know what, that's a rare answer as well. I think a lot of people wouldn't, you know, notice that or or acknowledge that in their life. So that's really good, man. Sounds like you've got a big heart. <laughs> that's good. Thanks. Last question that I have is uh what does happiness mean to you? Um, You know, happiness
1: is, 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 is about feeling fulfilled. It's about feeling that my life and my work has value. Um, Not just in general, but in the lives of the people around me. Um, You know, happiness is feeling safe. Happiness is, 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 is feeling trusted and trusting that I can trust my friends and that my friends trust me. It's, it's a great honor when someone trusts us, you know, that they would give us uh, the things that would make them vulnerable and, and trust that, that we will keep those things safe. Um, And likewise, it's it's an amazing feeling when we can give those things to others and trust that they will keep them safe. So happiness for me is very much about the relationships I have.
0: Beautiful, man. Thank you so much. That's awesome. All right, buddy. I'll uh, leave you to it. I'm sure you're busy, busy. And um, yeah, all the best. Thanks, Joel. You too. appreciate you helping me share the ideas. Thank you, man. Have a good one, buddy. See ya.